many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Outsiders. This is podcast number 27. It's Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee, who joins us from his remote location studio somewhere in the west end of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. How are you doing? Hey, I'm excellent. Uh, looking out the window, watching the leaves turn color and blow away. Winter is on the way, pal. I'm trying not to think about it because usually, <laughs> uh, usually we're thinking a little hockey at this point. But hockey just wrapped up, doesn't it? I'm really out of sync here. How do you feel? Well, I tell you, it, it is odd. Um, free agency, we're, we're coming up on free agency here. Well, the draft, of course, very early in the week. We may be done by the time uh, we'll be done before that comes out. But free agency in, in October instead of July, There's that's a difference, watching who's going where. Free agency... Uh, in a hard cap world because of COVID, that's a big difference. Yeah, the timing is off and the circumstances are different. Aside from that, it's business as usual. Well, we still have baseball kind of going on. The Blue Jays are, are done, but we still are working our way towards a World Series. So baseball hasn't changed a ton. And then there's the NFL, which just keeps rolling along with a few surprises. I guess it's uh, – and the NBA final is just about to come to a conclusion – Miami's not going away quietly. So, yeah, you're right. There are some things that are remarkably similar. It's just that it, the whole year has just been screwy. Uh-huh. At least to me, anyway. Oh, yeah, the, the, the timing is off. Everybody's got the, the personal clock going somehow or another, whether it's when you're used to working, when you're used to taking off for, you know, some time away from the job. Um what you watch and when you watch it, everything's uh, and hey, we're we're now into a, a time of year when you know uh, the Canadian Football League usually matters. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's nothing to matter right now, so that's different too for those of us uh, north of the 49th. Coming up on our big show today from Sportsnet, Chris Cuthbert. This will be fun today because Chris was our very first guest. Yes, he was. And a lot has changed with Chris over the past 365 oh. days. Networks, his uh, his specialty. He went from being the voice of the Canadian Football League to being the secondary voice on Hockey Night in Canada. So we got to catch up with Chris. Uh-huh. Let's and also, good timing on his part. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Let's also congratulate the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning their second Stanley Cup championship beating Dallas in a final that at times was a bit of a yawn fest. But Dallas actually, I thought, acquitted themselves quite well. Did you not have them at least close or no? I know some people, well, I'm, I'm one of them. I had them in the final, certainly into the fi- the West final, but I didn't have them into the Stanley Cup final. I, I, I The last thing I said specifically about them, because this was a, you know, when teams reached the final, you get a lot of people, whether they're bloggers, whether they're MSM guys. Well, I said back in pick a month, and I end up looking this stuff up, and I can't find a, I can't find when they said back then. Yeah. All I, all I said, the strongest feeling I had about Dallas was, A, I liked all the stories on their team that had connections to around here where we broadcast from, and B, uh, that uh, Colorado wasn't going to waltz past them uh, to any final because Colorado was favored by a lot of people before we got to where, you know the final. They just had something going. They like the Oilers uh, teams of many years past. They had their mojo going. They weren't as good as the other team, but they probably made it closer than they should have. So hey, the Bolts are the best team. There's no need for an asterisk, because although some people have talked about that, they still had to win all the games. They had to do it in empty arenas, and they had to do it in a bubble. Um, that's a heck of a hockey club when you look at the last five years for the Tampa Bay Lightning. 90 days shut up in a hotel. You and I yeah. have traveled plenty with NHL teams. It's tough to be shut up with a hockey team for 10 days, let alone 90. 
Yes, it is. And uh, testing every day. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows where we're at with COVID. Uh, Edmonton did remarkably well in terms of the health aspect. I think they did remarkably well in times of every aspect. You're right when you say there were a couple of snoozers in there. But I think if you broke down after, you're going to find that. But uh, well done. The trophies handed out. Everybody stayed safe and we move on. Yeah, and congratulations to both Toronto and Edmonton for doing a wonderful job of pulling things off. However, at the end of the day, the National Hockey League was the one who paid for it and were the ones who executed it. But Edmonton and Toronto had to kind of play along a little bit because you had to fence off areas. You had to close some roads down. And then you had to have the people, the volunteers, step up. And that, to me, is where both cities have to be congratulated on. And as much as I've heard reports, and we'll hear a little bit more from Chris coming up in a little bit. And, you know, you hear reports of everything being similar. And I'm thinking, well, over 90 days, how could it not be? Yeah. So so your veal parmesan was the same four out of the 90 (laughs) days. You know? Yeah. What a shame. What a hard, what a hard road to travel that is. You know what, Bryn? Um, now we look ahead, and there's questions that we will get into in episodes down the road because nobody knows right now. We just finished up uh, with, obviously, the draft and free agency yet to come, which will be a bit fun no matter what time of year it is because it's always fun to figure out who's doing what. But the other thing for down the road is, okay, now what's next? When does the season start? And what's that going to look like? Uh, multiple bubbles? A um, lot of questions there. And that's something that we don't know because things change quickly with this whole COVID thing. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Can you do a whole season like they just did the playoffs? That's a big ask, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I just don't think the teams would accept that. I, I think you probably need six to eight hubs that the teams can kind of rotate through a little bit. I don't know. I'm sure they're going to do a full assessment on how things shook down here a little bit. I'm in no rush to see the season start. I'd be fine with early January because generally we have the World Junior Hockey Championship to fall back on over the holiday season. And uh, before Christmas, I don't usually watch much hockey anyway. There's a lot of stuff going on. So when Christmas is on. Yeah. so, So we'll see how all of that plays out here. We'll see what the National Hockey League does with the information they gather from both of these hubs and whether or not they can make it work as a seasonal thing. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll stand by for that. You, uh, you excited about the virtual draft, even though it will be on television? It's just going to be a little different. Well, we've touched on it, Bryn. Frankly, um, for me, not from a fan perspective, most of the fun is uh, getting the kids away from the uh, scouts, the the one on one time, you see what they're really like. Much what the like what the uh, teams do when they do the interviews of the players. We can see the stats. We can, and we're going to see that here. We can see the canned stuff about what a good kid this guy is with coaches talking. Uh, we can see the rankings. Uh, the fun for me has always been uh, running into you know all the familiar faces, talking to the players. That's obviously going to be different for me. Uh, What's going to be interesting is, now let's face it, outside of Alexis Lafreniere, unless you're a hardcore hockey guy, Bryn, um, how many fans can name 10 more players ranked to go in the first round? I think you got to be pretty hardcore to do that. For me, free agency, guys who can make a difference now, and free agency framed in a flat cap, uh, that, to me, is the story that's going to grab everybody. These kids, outside of a couple of them right at the top, are going to have next to no effect on any team that takes them whenever the new season starts. But free agency is a different, is a, a different cat altogether. Where does Taylor Hall go? Uh, where does Alex Pietrangelo go? Um, what happens to... Are the Winnipeg Jets really thinking of trading Patrick Laine? Yeah, what is it? I, mean, I don't get that. There's something more to that story. Well, they must be because I don't know how you win a trade when you trade Patrick Laine. Um, 
you know, between trades and free agency, that's where the stories are in the next little while. After the ninth, it's free agency. You know, the trades. What happens with uh, Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver? Uh, the line A thing in Winnipeg, that, that grabs me. Uh, you hear, uh, is Jake DeBrusque available? I mean. Another one. Yeah, and, and you got to, you know, if you just go people say, well, what people? Fans on a fan site? I mean, I get the fans' passion for the game, but is it MSM, guys? If there's guys in the know, and we know who those people are, Bryn, that bring up names um, like that, you know, I'm hearing this or I'm hearing that, you've got to listen. you got to check it out. It, it strikes me as bizarre that a guy like Patrick Laine would be available unless, like you say, there's something more to it. Jake DeBrusque, go down the list. Um, well, there's some big Jack names. Eichel, gonna... Jack Eichel's name's out there. Like, really? Yeah, like, you're, why, would, why do you make that move? I understand why Arizona's doing what they're doing. They're, you know, they're, they're not in the, <laughs> excuse me, they're not in the sweepstakes for Taylor Hall. Uh, they got to let Oliver Ekman Larson go because they can't, they can't afford him. They're cutting payroll, but Patrick Liney, really? Let's uh, talk about Oliver Ekman Larson. He's given permission for Arizona. He, he could be traded to two cities with his non, or his non-movement clause and it's Vancouver and Boston. Does that surprise you? <coughs> Excuse me. That's okay. Well, it does. It, it it does that you would have such a restrictive clause uh, in your contract, and that the team would agree to that uh, initially. Um, talk about hamstringing your GM. Oh yeah. I mean, what's worse? What's worse than that? A total no movement, or one team, two teams. So. I mean, the two teams you're talking to, you think you're getting cherry uh, offers from them. You think they're going to be ready to give you the moon and the stars to to get somebody. I mean, Oliver Ekman Larson is a really good defenseman. And chances are he's going to be a really good defenseman for at least two or three, maybe four more years. But there's a lot more than four years at $8.25 million a year yeah. left on that contract. The last thing you want to be doing is going, what the hell are we paying this guy $8.25 million a season for when he's 34 and he doesn't even resemble the guy he used to be? Okay, we see Jason Spetz has signed a one-year deal to remain in Toronto. It's not for a ton of cash. Are you a little surprised he's continuing to play? Well, no, because it's not about money for Spetsa now. It is interesting, though, the arc of the career, Bryn, um, when we talk about, well, we've just mentioned Taylor Hall. Yeah. You know, Jason Spetsa, I I don't recall him being labeled as generational a talent, but he was a big deal in his draft year. Everybody wanted the kid. Now, all these years later, he's not a kid anymore. He doesn't need to play, um, but he wants to play. So, you know, any player that wants to hang on, we don't have a right to say, hey, go quietly into that good night. He wants to compete. Uh, well, look at Henrik Lundqvist. You yeah. Know, he, he's, he's older still. He's been at the top of the game. He's not there anymore. Nobody thinks he is, but he wants to play. You don't take that from a player. At some point, the team comes and tears the jersey off your back and you're gone. It's funny with Henrik, too. I saw him post something on Twitter this morning, and it was like an appeal to teams saying, look, I'm not done yet. I don't feel like I'm done yet. I still want to play. Yeah. And I, I, I like that, actually. I think that that's great. I don't know how much he's got left, and I don't think he can be a number one guy anywhere, but he no. certainly would be a great backup. But you got to go from big money to backup money and it's one thing to say you still have that hunger to play. The question is, do you have that hunger to play at smaller dough? And I don't know if he's there. I, you know what, Bryn? I think I don't think that's a factor. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist has, has made, unless he's got a bad habit we don't know about, uh, he's made all the money he's ever going to need. And it's about, you know, when they still, when they say, I think I can still play, 
let's be honest, sometimes they're kidding themselves. Every player who gets to that level wouldn't get there if part of the, the picture, aside from talent and work ethic, uh, was the desire uh, to play. Uh, he, I think players miss playing in the sense of the room, the time on the bus, the time on the road, the time with their friends. That hockey club, especially for a guy who stayed in one place like Henrik has, that becomes a family. And you miss that. I've heard guys honestly talk off the record to me um, who say, Robin, uh, you know, not bragging, but I've got all the money I'll ever need, but I miss the guys. Yeah. I miss I miss the time between games. I miss sitting around shooting the shit in the dressing room while we work on our sticks, uh, the uh, practical jokes, the camaraderie. Um, Henrik Lundqvist, if the if the PA would allow it, he could he could pay for a or play for a ham sandwich and uh, per diem, and he's not going to miss that money. I think he just wants to be around the game. I think there's some big changes coming in Edmonton. I think there's some big changes coming in Calgary. Obviously, when you're talking Patrick Lani in Winnipeg, there's going to be change there. Vancouver to get Oliver Ekman Larson are going to have to make some big moves. I don't know if that's going to happen. But one of the things that, that bothers me a little bit, and I'll focus in on Edmonton and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I, yeah. I'm a big fan of Nuge. I think he plays the game really at both ends of the arena. But this mm-hmm. hockey club in the Alberta capital hasn't won anything, has been in the playoffs once in a very long time. It's time to yeah. shake up the jigsaw puzzle a little bit here to continually – not want to change some of these key elements on your hockey club. That to me is an admission of failure. I just, I think the time has come for some of these teams, Johnny Goodrow in Calgary. It's not working there. I, I still can't believe that, uh, that they had the GM has got none on them in Calgary. And I still can't figure that out. They got to, they got to drop a few big guys and bring a few other big guys in to shake it up a little bit. Or am I overreacting? I think you're, I wouldn't say overreacting. I, you've got to be very careful when you start to suggest, and you are uh, indirectly, that moving one of the Oilers' best, what, three or four players, you know, Connor, Dreisaitl, if you consider Clefbaum was very valuable before the shoulder, he's one of the top three or four players. When you suggest even indirectly that one of the solutions is moving one of your best three or four players, the back half of that solution better be really good. Oh yeah. You need to get some shake up for shake up uh, sake. I'm I've never uh, agreed with is there complacency? Well, there shouldn't be because they haven't won anything. But is there room to improve and do it properly? Sure there is. The, the, the record speaks for itself. Is that Nugent Hopkins? I'm not sure. If You know what? If, if what comes back makes sense, addresses a weakness or a need, absolutely. What you can't do now is say, and go, you can't go too far the other way. Nugent has been a good soldier. He's played through tough times. We've got to keep him. And if, well, You'd like to keep him if you don't get something back for him that helps the club, but you don't keep him at, well, let's give him seven and a half times eight. Uh-uh. No. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is not a seven and a half million dollar hockey player. It's not a knock on the kid. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been a good company man. He has been a good soldier, as they say, but he's been compensated handsomely for that loyalty. And you don't go off the deep end. I say you don't show them up by offering a pay cut, but if I'm Ken Holland, I'm starting at like 6.25, which is not, as they say, chump change. It's a marginal raise, and I go maybe six years max. I'm not giving him eight, but that's me. I don't want to be paying a guy that kind of money into his mid-30s. But do you like Nugent Hopkins? I sure do. He's a, he's a handy, swift, you know what? 
he's that Swiss army knife of players. He can do a lot of things well. I'd like to keep him unless another team calls and says, we'll give you something that makes sense for him, or B, he's willing to stay uh, for reasonable money. Like I say, he's made almost 40 million bucks so far with 6 million still to go on his deal. You want to keep him? Yeah, don't offer him. Don't slap him in the mouth and, and say, well, take a million dollar pay cut and we'll let you stay. Remembering that Jordan Eberle took a pay cut to stay on the island. Let's not forget that. It does happen. But you, hey, give him 6.25 times 6. Call it good. Doesn't mean you can't trade him during that contract. But this keep him at any cost or trade him at any cost. Now, there's a happy middle ground that makes sense. And I bet you that's where Ken Holland falls. I just think that stagnant teams remain stagnant. And you got to take yep. some risks once in a while. And if it means sending away a popular player for the opportunity to see whether or not you can improve, I think you got to do it. Anyway, Chris Cuthbert's coming up here in a couple of moments, but we got to tell you that The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. You know, we keep hearing things about how tough the real estate market in the Alberta capital is right now, especially for sellers, especially over the past few years. Average days on the market keeps going up and home values keep going down. We've heard all those stories, but one of the things I got to tell you is that uh, Brent and his folks, they've been doing this for a long time. They know exactly what's going on in the Edmonton market. Not only uh, are they a wonderful people, but they like to have some fun. They want to make it challenging and they want to move your home. They know how important it is to you. And uh, to have Brent, who I've known since the early 1990s, come on and say, I want to be part of the outsiders. I, I can't thank him enough, Rob, and I know you're exactly the same way. But the Macintosh Group at Remax River City is the group that you should check out if you're thinking of selling your home in the Edmonton area. And all you have to do is you can check them out on their website, which is macintoshgroup.ca, or you can give Brent or any of his team members a call directly at 780-464-0075. So once again, the website is macintoshgroup.ca. The phone number direct is 780-464-0075. Give them a call especially if you have some questions. It doesn't mean that you're committed to anything, but they'll be able to kind of steer you in the right directions. And when you do get a hold of them, tell them where you heard this. Tell them that you heard it on The Outsiders. We'll we'll talk more about Brent coming up a little bit later on. But coming up next, it's going to be Chris Cuthbert from Sportsnet. You know, he was our very first guest on The Outsiders last year. It is really hard to believe that we haven't had Chris on in 13 months. So much has changed over that time, with all of us, actually. But Chris, welcome back to The Outsiders. How are you doing? I'm, I'm almost an insider now, so uh, good to be with you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just a few things have changed in 13 months. Let's get right to uh, your biggest change before we start talking about bubbles and, and CFL and NHL. You made a monstrous change network-wise from TSN to Sportsnet inside this last year. I'd heard rumbles that that was coming a long time before that, and then it, I didn't think anything was going to happen. But you make you make a huge jump. Was that purely to get back doing hockey? It was. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm near the end, and... Uh of my career. And, and I guess when I got into the business, I, I, I thought, you know, my number one goal was to work on hockey night in Canada. And I guess it's kind of come full circle. So, uh, uh, you know, there were some rumblings a few years ago and, and it almost happened and it didn't. And, uh, uh, that door was left, uh, ajar and, uh, and, uh, uh, on a, on another opportunity, uh, we finally got back together and, uh, Excited about it, but obviously mixed emotions because I was leaving a great place with great people and uh, and leaving the Canadian Football League, which uh, meant a lot to me as well. We, we really develop great friendships with people in the broadcast business. 
you were working with Ray Ferraro, and, and Robin and I were just talking during the break about the fact that, you know, you go from Ray, who's such a seasoned professional and has kind of, you know, he basically, as he even put it, came out of nowhere and learned and developed. And then you're working in Edmonton now on Sportsnet with Louis DeBrusque, who's another one of these up-and-coming guys who gets better with every broadcast. How was that whole experience? It, it was wonderful. And, and, you know, part of the gut-wrenching of leaving is is, is leaving partners like uh, Ray Ferraro and Glenn Suter and, and so many more. Uh, you know, at one point I, I counted uh, uh, in the last year, I think I was well over 60 uh, color commentators. So you, you do, you do get to uh, match up with a lot of people and, and there's almost nobody on the list of people that uh, I haven't enjoyed working with and, and relished the opportunity and got better because of, but, then you you saddle up beside Louis and and in the first period of the first game it feels like we've been doing it for for years and uh, I was excited about the prospects of working with Louis before we started but uh, I felt even better about it as soon as they dropped the puck because uh, I, I just felt like the way we the way we approach things the way uh, we think about a broadcast I think is similar and uh, and it just to be was. Uh, terrific fit from the from the get-go and it got better as I uh I got uh, even more used to uh to him and he got used to me and my pregnant pauses that sometimes caused him to to walk on me a little bit and he he'd kick himself around the block and I'd say Louie that's not you that's me I I put you in a bad spot there and uh uh I'll be better but uh you know he he from from minute one was uh you could tell how hard he was trying and he didn't have to try hard because he's uh, he's just uh, he's just very good at what he does. Chris, you t- you talked about getting near the end of your career. Um, I don't necessarily agree, but I don't do the hiring. I'm sure Vin Scully considers you a young man uh, in the <laughs> in the broadcast game. But factoring that in, what else made it the right time? Because a guy at the top of his game like you remain has options out there. What made now uh, or a year ago the time to do it for you? Well, I did mention at the time you do a lot of reflection during uh, during this quarantine or, or just this period of lying low, uh, which we're back into, I guess. But for months, uh, I was watching old games, games like Patrick Waugh's final game as a Montreal Canadian that I called back in 95 or that Oiler flame series in 91 that went seven games and uh um you start thinking about you know how special those games were and are still and uh and and there's the same with with uh with the football games I mean they were replaying old games and uh they bring back great memories I just felt like I'd done everything I could in the Canadian Football League I'd I'd been involved in 25 great cups uh, broadcasts. Uh, I was well over 800 uh, games called, and I thought about you know it'd be cool to maybe be the first uh, football announcer to hit a thousand games. But uh, y- you know, I just thought there was more things not done, left undone on the hockey side. And and while I'm assessing that, I'm I'm thinking, you know, if I don't move, I've got to wait six more years, and then I am officially old in in my terms I mean I might not get another chance till I was 70 and so this window opened up and I thought this is it's it's now or 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 maybe it's not going to happen so uh, I just thought uh, that was the best time to take advantage of uh, of the opportunity and and uh, and kind of come full circle we survived the bubble you did in particular because how deep into the bubble were you in Edmonton I was not. I was on the periphery of the bubble, and I'm I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, uh, maybe it wasn't as safe because listen, it, that's what what they did in Edmonton, what they did in Toronto, what the NHL and the NHL players did, uh, and all of the other people on the periphery, but inside the bubble, that that record of of executing that without a positive test is 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 beyond phenomenal it's it was beyond our wildest expectations and uh 
Um, and so that was outstanding. We were on the outside. I, I, I was on, uh, I was on the fifth floor, uh, for our broadcast at, at, uh, at the rink and then at, up to the seventh floor to get my water and coffee and, and my Nutella, which uh, was a big edge in Edmonton over Toronto for <laughs> sure. Um, uh, but anyway, it, they, they, they would just ask us a series of questions coming in and then take our temperature. And the temperature was always an adventure with me because I was never running hot, but I was often running very cold. They, they always had to do a second or third reading with me because for some reason I'm, I'm cold blooded and I was coming out at about 32 or 33 before they finally uh, got a proper reading. But uh, they were careful with us, more careful with the players inside and, and uh, they reap the benefits for sure. Chris, I got to ask because people here at home hear the finished product, your call of the game, which is, I mean, that's the reason you're there. Was there an adjustment for you um, doing it without fans in the building, without that atmosphere that gets everybody amped up? Um, You're there looking at a bunch of tarp seats and – uh, not very much else. So how does that affect your play-by-play? Well, I was worried about it, Robin. And, uh, and I thought I'm the kind of guy that I get amped up with the fans. I just love that emotion. And I, I caught myself, well, I'll, 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 I'll get to it a little bit later, but uh, uh, it was my biggest fear. And that fear was uh, kind of put to rest almost immediately. Uh, I'm not sure how loud it was, coming across your TV, but in my headset, I could crank up the EA Sports uh, soundtrack of of crowd behind me, and it was almost easy to forget that you were in an empty rink because of the volume of noise in my headset. In fact, sometimes it was so loud, I couldn't hear pucks hitting crossbars and and, and we even laughed once or twice. We said, well, we didn't hear a whistle. And we're thinking, how the heck would people at home uh, understand why we couldn't hear a whistle in an empty rink? But uh, but that was the case. But that soundtrack they handled was, was really quite good. And even to the point where sometimes while I was following the puck up the ice, there might have been something happened behind the play. And whoever was handling that audio had seen it and gave that crowd ooh or whatever. And I'd actually check back because you were reacting like you were reacting to a real crowd. So uh, um, they did a marvelous job with it, and uh, it made my job a lot easier. That's really cool in this sense, Chris. If you think back to when you're a kid or people that you've known in the broadcasting business were 12-year-olds sitting in front of the TV at home, and the way they got into being interested in doing what you do was maybe looking at a game on TV with the sound off and calling a game, pretending they were the play-by-play guy talking into a fork or a hockey stick or whatever. Here you are well into uh, a really esteemed career, and you're listening to sound to get you into that game. Kind of yeah. uh, it, it was, uh, and, and I was going to just finish the story with, with the fact that uh, we transitioned after the second round. Into the third round, we, we went away from the host broadcast to our own produced broadcast of the game. And it didn't create much of a difference except our audio came from a different spot. And for the first five or ten minutes of the first game in the third round, I wasn't getting that crowd, and I'd forgotten kind of I knew something was wrong I knew something was different and it felt like for a couple of minutes I was in a kind of in a studio with without that background and I was uncomfortable and at the first commercial it takes me a while I'm a little slow to figure out what exactly the difference was and and that new audio guy was not putting that background in my headset and as soon as he he pushed a button we were back into that comfort zone again but it kind of was a reminder to me of how much I missed it for that brief period of time. How did you keep busy when you weren't doing play-by-play? Because I was fascinated by watching on Twitter Kenny Albert, who was in, in Edmonton, and he was enjoying going out and kicking field goals at Commonwealth Stadium and trying to get to some other places. And he uh, he kind of raved about about how well the city hosted things. 
Were you able to do some other things just to kind of take your mind off of what you were doing a little bit? Yeah, I, I, again, Kenny was in the bubble, so he was a lot more restricted than me. I, I loved doing my River Valley walk. I, I joked that I never, even on the clearest day, ever saw the mountains of Jasper no. or, or whatever. But, uh, but uh, you know what? It, uh, there were more than a couple of times where I just went past the McDonald Hotel and looked down into the River Valley, and I thought, you know, that's really the only shot they needed to sell Edmonton. It was spectacular and i love that river valley walk and and we were able to i know a lot of the guys in the bubble had to had to do uh um you know order in food i i did that too but often i would go over and pick it up from one of the uh restaurants around the western hotel and and i I had pretty good scouting reports uh from people like quinn phillips and and others who uh who gave me a line on stuff and I have some favorites from being there uh, over and over again and some new discoveries. And uh, so uh, it, it seemed to be when you had time, it was just a little bit of an adventure of where you were going to and what you were going to eat next. But uh, I did uh, 45 games in total, 40 in the first 40 days. So if, instead of building an arc, I, I was pretty busy just prepping. And, and I will tell you that uh, maybe I'm guilty at times of over prepping, but uh my day was usually almost full um, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. I, I pretty well had structured uh, my reading, uh, my watching Zoom meetings with players and coaches, uh, our own Zoom meetings, and then uh, and then getting my notes on on my uh, on my charts. Uh, there usually wasn't a lot of extra time, and once in a while, I just finally had to put it away and, and maybe dial into Netflix uh, for a brief period of time. But uh, uh, it was uh, it was drinking from a fire hose and it was a lot of fun. Chris, we want to we want to talk to you a little bit about the CFL. But one last thing about the, the bubble situation looking forward before we do that. Uh, Edmonton and Toronto did a terrific job at this, uh, pulling it off, keeping everybody healthy. Tampa takes home the Stanley Cup. What does it look like moving forward, uh, bubble-wise, playing now a full season? Um, you were a lot closer to it than we were. How does the NHL pull this off, uh, whether the season starts in early January or late January? What happens next in your mind? Yeah, there's a million million uh, theories and, and questions going forward, and I think we've had some hints that uh, – they're not embracing the bubble concept of, uh, you know, the way we, we just saw it. And I understand why. Um, I, I do think we could get a tiered season where we might have empty rinks for a third of whatever length of season it is. And then maybe a few people allowed into the rink and then, and then getting to a, a different level of attendance uh, because it sounds as if they're going to need people buying tickets before for some portion of the season for it to go off. Um, mm-hmm. I I wonder about a a looser bubble uh, or or four bubbles uh, for let's say to get fifteen or twenty games in in a in a month's time. Let's let's get the Canadian teams into. Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto, wherever, and have them rip off uh, uh, 15, 16 games in a month in a bubble and buy yourself a little bit more time to uh, to go back and regroup for the next phase, which would be maybe half-filled rinks. Uh, I, it's, I mean, it's all up in the air as, as the numbers start to climb again, which is is scary and it's 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 uh, it leads to more pessimism about how we get going. But at the same time, we watched the Stanley Cup final with uh, with watch parties in Tampa where people are shoulder to shoulder and ten thousand people estimated in the rink at American Airlines watching the game on a on a scoreboard. When you're thinking, man, if if they they got that many people in there to watch a game on the scoreboard, why aren't they playing the game there? But uh, do we need a bubble where players are tested every day because the expense of that was high? I mean, it was perfect, but can they can they be as successful relaxing it a little bit, having seven teams in seven different hotels and coming in seven different ways or whatever, and and without 
being tested over and over again. <coughs> Excuse me, that's one of the questions they'll deal with. Uh, but beyond a month away from families, I, I can't see the players going for uh, what they just went through for a month and a half or two months. Hey, before we start talking about the Canadian Football League and the fact that we're not watching it, I just uh, wanted to ask. So now you're wor- so you're working with Louis. <clears throat> is it is that telling fans that there's a commitment with with sports that you're going to be doing the Western games, or can you uh, say no, anything? No, I, I I I think we're I, I I think it's it's wide open. When I signed up, I was um, pretty sure I was going to call Leaf midweek games, and then on Saturdays it could be anywhere and uh, and I'll sign up for anything. I mean, I absolutely love being able to, to call the Oilers, the Flames, the Jets, and the Canucks, something uh, when I was doing uh, uh, midweek Ottawa Senator games, I, I did very infrequently over the last few years. I, I can't wait to get back to calling a game at the Bell Center on a Saturday night. That will be spectacular if I get that opportunity. So nothing written in stone. Uh, a lot was made of uh, one of the reasons I wanted to come over is I haven't called a Stanley Cup, and I have assurances that uh, – in the four years that I've signed, I will get to do one. And, and I know it got worked over a little bit that, uh, well, where was Cutford in the final? Well, I, I'm, I didn't think I deserved to do the final the first year, just the new guy coming back in. And uh, if, if I'm signing up to do a Stanley Cup final, I, I hope it's with a, a full house. And I just want to finish. The one thing I didn't mention about the crowds was I told you how I kind of got you get accustomed to the, the sound in your ear. Well, uh, before Game 7 of, of the Vegas-Vancouver series, they ran on the scoreboard what the Vegas crowd had looked like the year before uh, in, in a Game 7 scenario. And it was a stark reminder. Wow, is that ever different than what we went through? So, yeah, I want, I want to be able to call uh, the biggest game in hockey uh, in a full house uh, going off like, like that for sure. Chris, let's let's talk CFL. Uh, close to your heart, you you called that game for a long time. I know it's a struggle for everybody out there now, no matter what league, and adjustments have to be made. I worry about the CFL. Uh, there is no more gate-driven league uh, than the Canadian Football League, and budgets are shoestring relative to almost all what we consider the major sports leagues. What has to happen for us to have uh, a season next year after a year when there's no season, no playoffs, uh, and no Grey Cup? I, I kind of, I'm, I'm pessimistic about the future, at least right now. Well, until, until we get a vaccine, I think everybody's going to be pessimistic because uh, I, I don't even think they can sign up because of everything you've just outlined. I, I don't think they can sign up and say, let's, uh, let's play to uh, – half-filled stadiums uh I, I mean the 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 obvious line there is well they do in in toronto but they they need as to make it financially viable for the league they need people in the seats and they need the concessions and everything that goes with it uh, and until there's a vaccine we have no assurances that uh, they can do that and I, I was pessimistic about the league playing uh in 2020 because as soon as they kicked off in a half season, in a half full or, or empty stadium, they were guaranteed to lose a lot of money. They yeah. didn't have the same opportunities of, uh, of recouping big TV money that the other leagues have. or uh, it, It's just too fine a line for them. The margins are, are too tough. So uh, we need a vaccine and... Uh, and uh, and 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 maybe some support financially from the government in some way, uh, whether it's to uh, to players or to to interest free loans. I, I don't have those answers. And I, from what I understand, uh, you, the presentation to the government was probably did not do a good enough job of selling the virtues of what this league means in the fabric of of Canada and. Uh, and that's too bad. In the long run, maybe it didn't matter. Maybe that any money they were going to get was still going to be money that was going to be um, a losing venture. So, so now they've got to regroup, 
They've got a year to plan to make sure that if there is a vaccine and we can get people back in the stadium, they can relaunch and, and get this thing back to where it was because uh, the CFL 2.0 is is not all about international players now. It's about uh, uh, relaunching the Canadian Football League as we know it and, and keeping it relevant for Canadian fans. Sportsnet, it still sounds funny to say that, Sportsnet's Chris Cuthbert joining us on The Outsiders today. All the way through July, there was the anticipation of getting the uh, the NHL thing going. And then we watched it all the way through August. We talked on, on this podcast the day after Labor Day about how all of a sudden the fact we weren't watching the Canadian Football League or the Eskimos and the Stampeders or the Bombers taking on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, it just seemed to hit us on Labor Day. Did you feel the same way? Oh, yeah, it did hit Labor Day for sure. I mean... I have been my my very first uh, uh, national uh, CFL broadcast was uh, a 1991 Labor Day game between Hamilton and Toronto, and I'll 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 go off on a little tangent here because it's why I love the league. That year, the Tie Cats were 0 and 8, uh, and the Argos went on to win the Grey Cup in um, in 1991. But on that Labor Day just like everywhere else in Regina, Edmonton, Calgary, wherever on that Labor Day, the 0-8 team with a new coach beat the team that went on to be the champions. And they, they won in resounding fashion. And it was a Canadian kid, Lee Knight, who had a couple of touchdowns in the game. He was the star. And it, it just had so many elements of why I love the league. It was unexpected. It was high scoring. It had an unsung Canadian hero. It, it's it's everything I loved about the league, and it happened in my my first broadcast. So, uh, um, but since '91, I've either been in in Calgary, Regina, Toronto, Hamilton, Edmonton on the Labor Day weekend, and then the following week. And uh, and there was a big part of me that uh, while while I was sitting in Edmonton, thinking, man, I'd love to be in Regina on the Sunday and and making that dash to the airport to get into Calgary the night before the, the Labor Day Monday. And uh, it was a huge hole for everybody. And I, 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 you know, I was one of many who tweeted about that. And uh, I think that tweet got more reaction uh, on my Twitter line than, than anything else I've had in the last few months, just missing Labor Day. So I, I wasn't alone and neither were you guys. I, I wanted to touch on it and I'll leave it. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with Chris. Uh, it's more, more about the economics of, of, this league and and how tight it is uh, for every team uh, when sort of a flagship franchise like uh, Edmonton the uh, to be named later team uh, makes changes like they have and cuts like they have uh, I'm thinking of, of Dwayne Mandrusiak who was looking at a, a 50th year which is unheard of almost in, in sports of in, in any country, uh, but we see it across the league. It's not just about Dwayne, but this league needs some rejigging. Uh, I don't know if the economic model works now because yes, it's tough to have months with no uh, revenue, but when you're slashing to the bone, like the CFL does as, and, and teams say they've had to, is, does that need to change somehow? Aside from getting people back in the stands, that's obvious. But can this model work long time the way it sits now? Well, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they, the old adage is everybody, every team's losing money, and maybe Edmonton was the exception. But, you know, I, I did think that it was improving. I think there are other teams. I mean, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders make a huge amount of money. Um, I think the Thai Cats are, are at a point where they were once the, one of the biggest drains on the league and now one of its most successful franchises. I, you know, I think the, the Bombers and the Stampeders model seems to, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a get rich quick operation. It's not a get rich operation in any way, but I, I, I thought that the financial model was, was strengthening a little bit. Um, when I did my first Grey Cup game in '96, a lot of people said, "Boy, 
glad you're getting this chance because it's the last great cup there's going to be. I mean, that's how bad it was back then. Um, but it's cyclical. I mean, there were years where there was 50,000 in Toronto and, and, and they were, they were sending out huge amounts of money to prop up teams like Saskatchewan, which is now absolutely the opposite 30, 40 years later. And that's ancient history now. And, but, but maybe there is some way that this league has to, uh, share all revenues and, and I, you know, that's, that's tough to hear if you're one of the teams generating all the revenue, but, uh, but you can't be a successful team in a one team league. Um, so the model needs to be, uh, looked at again. I, I, I'm going to defend my old employer here because I hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, TSN should pay more and, and why don't they go to other networks? And, uh, I'd love Sportsnet to get involved, but they can't right now because, it was a long-term deal with TSN and, and TSN stepped up and paid a lot more money for the rights back after that 96 um, great cup to make sure there was a league. And uh, they, they paid a premium because they wanted exclusivity going forward. Uh, is that going to happen again? I don't know, but uh, um, I think they have to look beyond the TV model as well. Um, and, uh, and there are no easy answers. If there were, um, uh, then we'd, we'd have solved it. I, I'd love to see some kind of uh, compensation for player development. I mean, Alex Singleton's interception pick six uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, for Philadelphia against San Francisco goes viral. And, and, and we all know how good Alex Singleton is. Would he have made the Eagles starting lineup if he hadn't played for X number of years as a, as a young star in the Canadian Football League? I don't know, but it would be it would be advantageous if, if maybe unrealistic, but certainly advantageous for the league. If there was some kind of payment for players that uh, had been developed by uh, the CFL, but I'm, I'm walking on thin ice here because I don't want to hear this. Let's make it a, a developmental league for the NFL. That's, that's not what this is about, but so anyway, there's a catch 22 there. And, uh, and, and if you're, you're going down that road, maybe it's not the right one, but uh uh, they've just got to find different ways to uh, generate revenue. I thought maybe the international uh, theme that Randy Ambrosi had uh, uh, was starting to develop was to to come up with small amounts of TV money from multiple countries, like the Double IHF does. Uh, they don't get a lot of money from from many countries, but if you've got enough countries paying a little bit, it it starts to add up. Uh, uh, could they get U.S. money on a on a better um, uh, network ESPN or whoever it is uh, could they get more money it, 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 they've, been, they've been banging on that door for, for 10 or 20 years I, I did ESPN games in the, in the mid 90s as well and uh, um, you know there still has not been really any substantial money coming uh, uh, north from, from, from that market either but somehow you're right it, it has to change or else we have to uh, uh, bring salaries down a little further, and they've already cut the coaching staffs down to what I think is is a bare minimum. And uh, um, and again, no easy answers. Thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. It's hard to believe a year's gone by since we chatted last. And as we've said, so much has happened to everybody in that last 365 days. But we'll have to get you on again another time if that's possible. It would be my pleasure. Congratulations on over a year. Lucky 13 for you guys. And if we can all get through 2020, uh, hopefully 2021 will be a lot luckier for all of us. Chris, thanks for your time. Great chatting once again. Okay, boys. Sorry for being long-winded. You can That's what we're here for. To that and there we go. Big thank you to Sportsnet's Chris Cuthbert for joining us on The Outsiders. Like I said, a year has gone by. It's hard to believe. But, hey, years go by pretty quick. When you get a little older. When he said he was nearing the end, I'm going, are we getting a scoop here? But uh, <laughs> I, he, he was very quick to say career end, and I'm with you. I don't believe that for a, heart, a heartbeat or for a one fleeting second. He's got a lot left in the tank as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And it's been a hell of a year, hasn't it? I mean, we can talk about that on multiple levels, uh, uh, personal in some cases, the whole COVID thing, the disruption of everything. But time flies uh, when you're having fun and uh, even when you're not. I, I did enjoy his outlook on uh, how he survived the the bubble. He was on the – there were two bubbles. There was a media bubble. He was clearly in that. So he had a little more maneuverability. The players were really stuck in the one in the one traditional bubble. We're starting to hear a few more complaints about things and how it was very, very tough. Rick Bonus said it, the, it, it was just – it was – he didn't use the word awful – but said that there was really nothing redeeming about going through a bubble, but you do what you have to do to make sure that you yeah. get your story out. Would have liked to have seen Rick win a Stanley Cup. He's been there a lot of times and hasn't been able mm-hmm. to win it. Just reminds everybody that your uh, your ability to win it, you can get to the final, but very often you may only get there once. He's been able to get there numerous times and hasn't been able to get it done with whatever team or for whatever reason, but He's such a great guy. I would like to have seen that happen this time around. Well, better to have got there and uh, not come out the way it, uh, you wanted it to than not getting there at all. Rick Bonus has been a terrific coach over his whole career. Uh, and maybe he'll get another shot. Like last time when we talked about him, I was stunned when he said he was 65. Uh, this is not a guy who looks like he's anywhere near the end. So hopefully for Rick, he gets another crack at it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Of course, you want the silverware when the series is done. That hasn't happened, but uh, it beats the alternative, not getting there at all. There's way too much talk about being being near the end for, for me on this show today. <laughs> but we're nearing the end of this particular podcast for today. Got to thank the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. Big sponsors of the Outsiders and good friends of us here at the Outsiders. And, uh, you know, the fact that they stepped up and wanted to be the first ones to step up, we, we couldn't be happier. He's a big fan of the podcast, been a friend for over 25 years for me. Most people know that in a normal year, it's the springtime when most of the real estate transactions start to occur. But uh, this is not your normal year in no, not only Edmonton, but everywhere in Canada. However, uh, Edmonton saw record-setting months for sales during the summer. I don't think a lot of people know that when it comes to real estate. That momentum is carrying into the fall, which is great. So I guess if you're looking to sell your home, now's a good time to call. Kind of set the table with Brent and his team. In fact, with less inventory than past years, Edmonton home sellers are seeing sold signs more than they did in the spring. So if you'd like to find more out about the market and maybe how you can get a sold sticker, on the front of your lawn, then just reach out to Brent and the Macintosh Group at Remax River City, and they'd be happy to provide you with some great advice on selling your home and a couple of sold stickers for that sign. All you have to do is just go to their website, which is macintoshgroup.ca. Once again, that's macintoshgroup.ca, or give them a call direct. You can talk to Brent or anybody over there at 780-464-0075. That's 780-464-0075. Appreciate their support of our of what we're doing here. And we're also looking for other sponsors too, Robin. Other people who would like to step up and uh, help us continue to, to slap this together on a weekly basis because for us, this is fun. But we need to cover off some of the costs of actually getting the show up and running. So if we can get a chance to talk to potential advertisers or sponsors, we're all in. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, uh, you know, contact Bryn or or I. You, you know, you can get you can DM me through Twitter or any social media. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we're going to keep doing this. We'd like you to come along for the ride, uh, and let's go from there. Yeah, all you have to do is drop us an email at mightymouth at shaw.ca. That's mightymouth at shaw.ca. You can also check us out on Twitter. It's starting to pick up some speed, and I like that. The handle's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, too. It's at Outsiders2020. Outsiders is all in caps. I don't know if you do it in small letters, whether or not it still pops up. I'm pretty sure that it probably does. But anyway, tell your friends and subscribe to us at RSS. 
And that way you can check out our feed. As soon as we download or drop a new podcast, you'll be told immediately. And all of the favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts. I mentioned last week, I've been looking at the analytics of the show. Apple is the number one source where people are getting our podcast from. But Pocket Casts is a solid number two. I, I tend to, I have a Pocket Cast account, but I also, I'm on Spotify a lot with my music, and I like to listen to podcasts there as well. But that, like I said, there's many different ways where you can track us down, so uh, that's about it. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week, I have a feeling. Yes, we are. Lots of hockey free stuff. Will, yep, free agency will be underway, and I expect the big names to go very quickly, as often happens. So it'll be a lot of fun next week. Uh, We'll see what happens then. Also coming up on the show next week, Tara Sloan is going to join us from Sportsnet. She's got a really great show on Sunday mornings where they focus on Canadian athletes, female Canadian athletes that are making their mark, not only in Canada, but around the world. Just a couple of, you know, like Haley Wickenheiser, uh, Christine Mm -hmm. Sinclair. I mean, there's a lot of them and they make us all very proud to be wearing the red and white and that maple leaf. So uh, we'll be talking with Tara and everything else that's coming down the pipe. Robin, thanks for your time today, and we'll talk next week. All good. Let's get out of here, pal. Yeah, let's beat it. Recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.